welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me from the movie riffing group One Wall Cinema, who can currently be found on OneWallCinema.com and RiffTracks.com, K1, a.k.a. Kevin, welcome back. Thanks, glad to be here. And last but not least, also joining us is the artist, writer, and creator of the comic series Catbeard the Pirate, Matt Nelson. Welcome back, Matt. Ah, thanks. Good to be on. And uh, congratulations on the successful Kickstarter campaign. How's it coming oh, along? Oh, thank you. Uh, good, good. Uh, got almost all of the new material for the book put together. Um, nice. I always like to draw like a new additional story for the books when I put them out. Just you know, makes it seem like it's more value. Very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm liking the updates that I'm seeing. Oh, thank you. Well, August 19th marked Amazon's new choose-your-own-programming pilot season, and this week for the podcast, we watched a very interesting new show. It's the story of a mysterious superhero and his young sidekick uncovering the mystery surrounding their lawless city, The Tick. And it was written by the creator of the character, Ben Edlund, and directed by Wally Pfister. Now, are you guys familiar with Wally Pfister? I am. Yeah, he was involved with uh, Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, Moneyball, the right. Italian oh, job, okay. Memento. Yes. Yeah, so he's he knows how to make things look good. Yeah, Christopher Nolan's cinematographer, pretty much. Like, like pretty much, said. yeah. And uh, he actually won the Academy Award for his work on Inception, and and was nominated, I think, for at least two of the uh, Dark Knight movies. So pretty amazing. What what an what a great choice to direct this this superhero show. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it, but you definitely see the influence a very dark, grounded realism as real as you can get anyway. Yeah, definitely an awesome choice, you know, it, cause that's exactly the tone that they were going to go for this time around and, and it shows. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, uh, does sort of give the tick a more, more to play with as a character being such a strange individual in a background that doesn't seem as strange because in the old show it was more both you know the animated series and the old live action show were more cartoonish in their in their look so this one being looking so cinematic is it brings a little bit more whimsy to it i think yeah no this is the the third tv series featuring the character of the tick the first was of course the animated series from 1994 that aired on fox kids and uh, we did cover that in a previous episode uh in that episode we talked a lot about the history of the tick from very humble beginnings, basically, he was created by Ben Edlund in 1986. I think he was only 18 years old. And it was made specifically for the newsletters of our local beloved comic book chain, New England Comics. And uh, these appearances grew. Eventually, New England Comics self-published The Tick in his own comic book series, which is still running today. The second version of The Tick was what Matt was hinting at there. The, the very short-lived live-action series that aired on Fox in 2001... That starred Patrick Warburton in the title role, who, by the way, is a producer on this new series. The cynic in me can't help but wonder if he's a producer the same way Stan Lee's a producer on the Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> so now that brings us to this new series, which, of course, is just an Amazon pilot. It stars the great British actor Peter Serafinowicz, who you might remember as one of the Nova Corps members in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. He was also on an episode of Parks and Recreation where he played a member of British nobility who befriended Andy. Oh, right. That one. That's <laughs> right. About that. and of course, <laughs> I forgot about that, too. He's great in that one. And Andy, coincidentally, was also Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy. So it kind of goes full circle there. The he's a producer on this, too. Yeah, and he's, yeah, he's a producer as well, yeah. 
the first of uh, Peter Serafinowicz's work that I've ever seen was this hilarious fake science show from the UK called Look Around You. It's crazy. It's really poking fun at like educational films, probably 70s era. And yeah, it's a very, very dry humor. I suggest people look it up and check it out. It's very, very weird, I, I should say. It's, it might be one of these polarizing shows that people either absolutely love or absolutely hate, but definitely worth checking out. Uh, he also had a very uh, brief uh, sketch show that aired in the UK, and there he got to showcase some of his talents. Uh, he does some great voices including uh, an amazing Alan Alda, which before the recording I, I played for you guys. Just uh, unbelievable. Yeah, it sounds just like him. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have I I believed instantly if you had told me that was Alan Alda, that it was actually him. Yeah, it's a strange choice to reboot this story for a third time, but I am very happy they did. <sighs> oh, yeah. I have my theories about that, too. And it's, it, well, it, it ties into the whole, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about the other pilots, and I don't know if we want to get into this now, or do we want to get into it later, but uh, my, one of the things I think about with Amazon's decisions here is, Amazon, you know, is trying to establish itself as a network, and they don't have a superhero show yet, and just about everybody else does. Mm. And, you know, they're very popular, you know, you look at the Flash for CW, you know, which, you know, Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, now Supergirl. Um, you know, CW is just turning itself into the DC network. You get, you know, ABC's got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Sci-Fi Channel, I think, has one, don't they? I mean, I guess you could almost call Z Nation a superhero show. It's sort of got weird super-powered zombie characters and that kind of stuff. Mm. You got a lot of this kind of thing going on. Amazon doesn't have one yet, so it makes good business sense for them to put one out. Yeah, very true. Yeah, so we should just get right into this. This is uh, there's a lot to get into here. So going into the show, we open in space on a distant shot of planet Earth, and as we slowly zoom in in voiceover, we hear, Hello world, this is the tick. Don't worry, I'm not in outer space. I'm not even in this yet, but I know what's coming. An epic tale rife with destiny, adventure, and blood loss. The ultimate struggle <laughs> of light against darkness, of good against evil, of meat. And I love how right off the bat you get jump right in with, you know, <laughs> talking about destiny. Yes. And that's obviously going to be a huge theme. <laughs> yes, definitely. Now, as we z continue to zoom closer, we see this large chunk, a uh, strange mineral fly by and hurtle towards the earth. This actually looks like a chunk of bismuth, if you've ever seen that. Sometimes you can find oh, yeah. at like rock yeah. stores and stuff. Very uh, angular and iridescent. It's true. I, I thought of a Tetris block when I first saw it, but yeah, it does look like a bit of a crystal. Now, what do you guys think of the Tick's voice here? You know, we talked about Peter Serafinowicz has an amazing talent for voices. What do you think of his choice for the Tick in this series? Honestly, going into it, I wasn't, you know, really sure what to think, you know, just because I, I really liked the way that, that Warburton uh, portrayed the character. So I was kind of like, ah, I don't know, but um, I, I'll get into my thoughts on it, you know, shortly into the episode. Okay. I, now, see, myself, interestingly enough, I thought he was trying more for the cartoon version of the voice because it's what it made me think of. Because um, he, I'm sure he knew everyone would compare him to Warburton's version. And yep. so I think he instinctually tried to get away from that portrayal and lean more back toward the original cartoon portrayal. Because when he first started talking... 
you know, hello world, you know, <laughs> this is the tick. Yeah, I, I immediately thought of the old cartoon. I was like, oh, that's pretty good, you know. Yeah. I can just see him, you know, doing the old blue cartoon, you know, there he stands on some rooftop like some kind of Chaldean god, you know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, okay. I'm like, I was starting to already get into it. I'm like, all right, okay, you know, here we go. Yeah, definitely reminiscent of uh, Townsend Coleman's voice from the cartoon. I'm, I wasn't really too familiar with the Patrick Warburton show. I, I think I tried watching it when it was briefly on Netflix and didn't get through it. But uh, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but there seems to be a little mix of Adam West in there, too. Ah, that's in mm. my notes. <laughs> yes. Now that you, you say that, I can totally see it. When he's a little quieter, when he's not, you know, making these booming declarations you know that finesse finesse you know yes. you'll get a little bit of that in there that's yep. good that's true well since you said that i suppose i can jump right into to sorry i spoiled it kevin <laughs> no no not a problem at all yeah there's one point where really really soon after he first appears on screen and starts to kind of give a little bit of you know one of his famous monologues i like i was in like instantly i was like this is perfect and then, you know, a few lines later, he kind of did like a Batman 66 Adam West type pause while he was kind of, you know, yes. thinking things through while he's talking. And I was yes. like, this is great. He definitely does that pause. Yes. Yep. Yeah. The, the contemplative Bruce Wayne. Yes. Which, you know, at that point I was like, I'm in, this is great. I don't like the costume that much still, but I'm in, this is <laughs> great. <laughs> Yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about that costume. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, and uh, also speaking of uh, Peter Serafinowicz, did you guys know he was in a Star Wars movie? Really? Yeah. Was it the uh, Clone Wars movie? Close. Okay. <laughs> Worth think, a shot. <laughs> think worse. We're, oh, you mean the holiday special? <laughs> uh, a little better, but not much. Okay. Phantom well. Menace? Yeah, he was in Phantom Menace. Really? Oh, where was he? He was Darth Maul's voice in episode no. one. Whoa! Yeah, they pulled James Earl Jones. Yeah, they uh, the, Ray Park was the was the uh, oh, I, you know the actual physical embodiment. But yeah, Peter Serafinowicz was his voice. I knew they dubbed Park's voice because Park has a pretty thick accent. But huh? How about that? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Now I'm a huge fan of the Best Show with Tom Sharpling, and uh, Tom is friends with uh, Peter Serafinowicz. And there was a story, and I might be getting some of the details wrong because I heard this years ago, but I believe he went to either San Diego Comic-Con or a very big Comic-Con with Peter. And Tom was really trying to get some of the fans over like, hey, hey, guys, this is Darth Maul. This is Darth Maul. You know, and a lot of people didn't really understand that, yeah, his voice was dubbed. Bizarre. So uh, going back to the episode, the tick continues with this, you know, this grand monologue. Okay, this is it. The dawn of the age of superheroes. And we next cut to the very snowy landscape of the Tunguska River Basin. And we learn that the year is 1908, also known here as the dawn of the age of superheroes. We see two herdsmen. They stand on a snowy overlook and they watch as this strange meteorite explodes into the Earth's atmosphere, but then inexplicably stops and hovers over their reindeer in a clearing. And the herdsmen pause to observe, then they're quickly thrown back as this iridescent chunk explodes, sending out this giant wave of energy with a glowing light inside. Very bizarre and scene. 
Very funny, though. I just love the, hey, your reindeer are on fire. I was, <laughs> was going to bring that up, partly because I genuinely didn't notice the reindeer at first. Somehow they completely escaped my notice. I was just sitting there, you know, looking at the, the thing, you know, floating there in midair. And then all of a sudden, you know, boom, and then they, hey, your reindeer are on fire. And I lost it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> And they are genuinely speaking the Evenki language, which is uh, under the list of endangered languages. It's spoken in Siberia. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. I mean, not that it's endangered, but that it's neat that they're doing that. Yeah, very authentic. Even more interesting is that this, well, not quite this way, but this actually happened. This was the Tunguska event of June 30th, 1908, where they think it might have been either a comet or a small meteorite that did enter the atmosphere over Siberia and explode in midair. Oh, I do remember reading about this somewhere once. It, it, it exploded with the force of 10 to 15 megatons of TNT and flattened 2,000 square kilometers of forest. And just like this scene here, there were no human casualties. Wow. So it's just kind of interesting that they took a real-life event and kind of spun it in their weird tick universe. Yeah. I like that. I like it when they do it, and they do it with some class. You know, they don't go the Michael Bay Transformers route where they try to work in Chernobyl or something and oh yeah, turn it into some god awful thing. It's like no, 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 no. This was done with a, a bit of humor and class. I like that. Yeah, and this was uh, something that didn't kill anybody either. Yes, yes, exactly. It's not a horrendous tragedy. Right. <laughs> they tried to use for their little move. Kind of kind of the same thing from the first, you know, X-Men movie, where they, the riff tracks, where he's like, do you really get to use the, the Holocaust for your little superhero movie? It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, as Kevin mentioned, the reindeer are on fire. One of the herdsmen runs over to, I guess, ex try to extinguish his livestock. And we cut to that glowing light that kind of lingers there. It's just hovering in midair. And as the smoke clears, we see the glow give way to the form of a man in a red cape. And with a whooshing sound, the second herdsman watches as this mysterious figure flies away. I want to say, just real quick, back up for a second, uh, something that surprised me, um, and I guess it just sort of was sort of just the, the way that it really put forth that this was going to be a show that wasn't the kid's cartoon, was the fact that the tribesman cusses as he runs after the deer. Yeah, well, I was yeah, like, good point. I was yep. like, oh yeah. I was like, I was like, huh. Okay, so this is clearly for the grown-ups then. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how adult they plan to get with it, but I was like, all right, that right there with just one word gave a clear indication of this is what's going to be different about this show. Yeah, and that's a good point. We should mention that uh, you know this isn't necessarily for for younger kids like the cartoon was. Amazon lists this as a TV fourteen series, so just something to keep in mind for parents. So from here, we next cut to present day on the set of Whoopi Goldberg's talk show called Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> but funny. Yeah. And so Whoopi is interviewing this mysterious figure that we saw earlier, who we now know as Superion, the world's first superhero played by Brandon Hines. I, I liked that Superion, they do spell it with an A, don't they? Yes. Yeah, yes. it's one letter off from Superman. Good job, yes. guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. And this was basically, there. there is a original animated series co slash comic book analog to this character, right, Kevin? Uh, this one, I'm not sure. Who's Clark Oppenheimer in the cartoon? Isn't he a superhero, oh, Superman Clark. type? 
Yeah, well, you never actually see Clark change in the original cartoon. He runs around a lot looking panicked and trying to find uh, a phone booth, but I don't think he actually ever changes into a Superman-like character. Okay. Yeah, I was I was kind of wondering on that because he's kind of got the same like a similar hairdo, you know. Oh yeah, he's got the super hair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe we'll we will see him as his Clark Oppenheimer alter ego at some point if the series goes on, but uh, it'd be interesting to see. So here in this show, Whoopi explains that along with still images, it's almost like a slideshow that she shows during the, her show that uh, Superion came to us from beyond the stars and adopted Earth as his home. Uh, we also get a picture from the front page of the newspaper, Citizens of America, dated June 6, 1947. And here, the front page article is about Superion saving the city from a crashing experimental aircraft that is presumed Russian. And we also learn about uh, Superion's heroic deeds over the years that have inspired various men and women to follow in his footsteps. This is what Tick was describing as the age of superheroes. I kind of saw that uh, saves the thing from a, you know, saves the city from a suspected Russian spaceship as another quick dig at Superman, possibly, because, you know, of course he crashed in a spaceship and, and I thought to myself, so, so he's, he's gotten Superman out of the way, I guess. <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> and, uh, on the newspaper article, the, uh, the June 6, 1947, it, there was a, an article on the bottom corner i don't know if you saw it uh called yankees clinch lead and if you read it uh i wrote down what it says here it says the game was tied 7-7 in the top of the ninth but then uh, i think it says r roberts scored the last run of the evening bringing the yanks into a solid position for the upcoming playoffs which you know as a baseball fan i thought huh that's kind of interesting that they would say you know and talk about how they went into a lead for the playoffs when it's in june Mm. you know that's pretty early in the baseball season yeah interesting yeah so just for you know my own curiosity i pulled up baseball reference and uh 1947 the yankees did end up uh in first place and uh they were in first place by 12 games and won the world series that year um however (laughs) (laughs) june 6th was actually a friday not a tuesday um, and while the Yankees did play, they lost to the St. Louis Browns four to three. Hmm. Very interesting. Yes. You're a huge nerd. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, it gets worse, Matt. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, uh, after losing that game, the Yankees were actually one game out of first place behind the Tigers. You know, usually if they're going to take the time to write all the copy and not just do, you know, that uh, fake ipsum lorem Latin thing. or Greeking, they call it sometimes, you know, yep. you think they would get some of the details straight or, or put a little bit of in-jokes in there, but I don't know. I don't know what they were going for there. I don't know. It, it's And it's funny because, you know, we were just talking about, you know, that actual event, you know, <laughs> the, that really happened. And then here's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> But, you know, just doing doing our part to point out that the Yankees aren't as great as the media makes them out to be. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, also, we next get the front page of an issue of the Harmony Tribune in which Superion had vanquished a powerful villain known as the Terror to the point where only his teeth were left inside of a smoldering crater. That was actually the first thing that jumped out on me on that page when they put it up on the screen. I just started laughing. They found his teeth. What? (laughs) (laughs) Now, cutting back from this presentation to the interview, Whoopi asked Superion about the terror. 
and Superion reveals that he had been fighting the Terror pretty much ever since he arrived on Earth. Now, the camera next pans back, and we see that this interview is actually a video playing on a computer screen on the desk of Arthur Everest, played by Griffin Newman. I thought it was interesting they gave us a last name for Arthur this time. Hmm. Yeah, because he never had one before. I don't think he ever did, unless they did it in the comics at some point, I never knew, but... Because I never read any past Edlin's run, so... Yeah, Arthur Everest. So, uh, as Arthur continues to very intently watch, Whoopi asks Superion about the rumors that maybe the Terror might still be alive. And he's, you know, completely dismissing this notion, saying that the Terror's teeth were found in a crater made out of him. And the conspiracy <laughs> theorists are crazy, and people be cray-cray, as Whoopi agrees with him. And, the, I mean, the funny thing here is, like, if you are familiar with the ticket all, you know the Terror's this super, super old guy. So, <laughs> I mean... Not necessarily out of, you know, the question that you could find his teeth and not necessarily find him, you know? Yeah, yeah good point, too, yeah. yeah. In the cartoon, actually, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have teeth most of the time when he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> now, we also get a very brief look at Terror as Whoopi shows a picture to the studio audience. We'll, we'll see a little more of him a little later. We can talk about his look then. Uh, Arthur now closes the window on his desktop, and he prints out an article from the Valley Telegraph about the Romanian dictatorship being toppled. And while this prints, Arthur decides to call his sister Dot, who we learn is a paramedic, uh, to thank her for all of her help over the years and to tell her that she is a good sister. She, she immediately asks, you're not having obsessive thoughts again, are you? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> Dot's casting was an interesting choice in this uh, because now did they? I can't remember. Was there a Dot in the Warburton version? I don't know that we ever did see Dot. I don't. Hmm. Yeah, I can't remember. But Dot traditionally has always sort of looked like a female version of Arthur, a sort of weird, mousy, you know, big glasses mm -hmm. character. And she's. It's just sort of. It was just sort of an odd choice. I was like, oh wow, they clearly went the other way with her in this one. I was like, you know, she's. Nice looking young woman, you know, and she's not, what was she in the original cartoon? Like a librarian or something? I don't know. Something, it's something equally nerdy like Arthur. It wasn't an EMT, which surprised me. I was like, that's just a completely, they went completely off script with her. And I was like, huh, that's different. Okay. Yeah. She's played by Valerie Curry in this series. But yeah, right away she can tell, you know, to get a phone call where it's like, uh, I just want to thank you for all your help over the years and. Tell you you're a good sister. You know, she knows something's really wrong. So that's why she's asking, like Kevin said, if he's having pretty much another one of his episodes, as we'll learn. And he's just trying to convince her, no, 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 I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and as he's saying that, the camera just pulls back on this huge conspiracy theory <laughs> <Yeah>. wall. <laughs> this wall is great. Yes. He's, got the, he's got the classic murder wall going on. Yeah, this is like, you know, we see this as kind of a cliche now, but, you know, it reminds me of like a beautiful mind, string connecting clippings, and, uh, you know, we saw it even on uh, the the pilot of The Flash. Oh, yeah. When, ba yeah, yeah. when Barry Allen was trying to, you know, piece things together about the mystery surrounding his mother's death, and same thing, all kinds of clippings and string, and he had to keep his hidden, you know, because it does look crazy. Yes. <laughs> But basically, when we look at these clippings on this wall, we can see that they, they have to do with various tragedies and very specific world events. Also, they have to do with the terror and possibly him being alive. And there's a lot of 
connecting, literally connecting pieces of thread, implying that Arthur is one of these people that does believe the terror is alive and is causing all of this mayhem really in the shadows, basically. And did you guys get get a good look at some of the things on this wall? Uh, I read, I looked at some of them, but I didn't get a chance to read all of them. There's, uh, there's articles there about the Hindenburg, yep. Pearl Harbor, uh, JFK and Martin Luther King, uh, even Marilyn Monroe. Uh, there's something about a volcano, uh, the Challenger, and I think, and even the missing Malaysian air flight. So possibly even, you know, more recent events as well. I was going to say, though, I did like, I thought it was actually a good logical change for the recasting of Dot um, and the new job. Because it it allows them to be able to bring her into the series more as an active presence for her to be an EMT and, you know, Arthur is obviously going to be getting involved in the superhero battle soon. Hmm. And so, yeah, we, we see Dot on the scene at her job. You know, she's kind of being interrupted by Arthur's call. And she has, like, a really nasty, bloody handprint on her <laughs> uniform. I don't know what's happening, but it's pretty bad. In fact, she has to hang up because more bleeding people are screaming in the background. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go. Somebody new is bleeding. Yeah, yeah, that was a great line. Fantastic line. I do uh, like the I do like the darker humor in this one, actually. I noticed that. It's definitely overall darker. Yes, definitely. And it works so well, It does. Too. It really does. <laughs> I'm surprised by that. So as uh, Dot hangs up, Arthur tacks a map up to his wall and then leaves. And as he quickly exits, we see that there's a tack on the river part of the map connected to a note about the terror smuggling superweapons. And on the map, this is next to a facility that's kind of like the wharf area, I believe it's referred to as. Yeah, something like that. So Arthur's uh, seemingly going to check this out. So we then cut to some shots of the bustling city at night. And we should mention this is the city. Mm-hmm. Just like in the yes, comics. once again. The Classic. Cartoon, yeah. Capital C city. Uh, we, we then hear a radio talk show host talking about this city being taken over by crime. We hear that two rival gangs are fighting for supremacy and the cops are nowhere to be found. We next cut to Arthur in a cab where this radio is playing. And he listens as a caller demands that they have superheroes like other cities do, saying that they need a new Flag 5, who the caller likens to the Dodgers leaving Brooklyn for Los Angeles. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that, uh, yeah, at this point, that they were didn't have superheroes in the city. Because in the old cartoon, and in the old show, it always seemed like they had too many. Yeah, and, right. And the tick was just one more, and they're you know, and they, whenever he shows up, everybody's like, "Oh, great, another one," you know, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I read online here was uh, apparently the flag five was originally called the Freedom Five, but uh, apparently legal forced them to change the name because uh, I, I guess it was too close to the uh, the Marvel Freedoms Five. Yeah, there's uh, also was... uh, like Freedom Force, I think, out there too. Yeah. Hmm. Apparently, uh, Freedom's Five was Phantom Eagle, uh, Crimson Cavalier, Union Jack, Sir Steel, Silver Squire, and then uh, Iron Fist actually replaced Silver Squire. Huh. I honestly didn't know about that one either, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not familiar with that team. Yeah. And uh, I, I also read, uh, I think it was Edlin that said, the Flag Five is the lamest possible version. Uh, it's the Flag Five because they're very patriotic. And uh, everyone had a name that they loved, but nobody would give in on what it was, so they had to vote, and they settled on uh, a name that everybody hates. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. 
And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the the idea that maybe the Flag Five is like the, the Dodgers leaving town, not really a good analogy. The host even calls the caller out on this saying, well, you know, the Dodgers just moved. The Flag Five was blinded by weaponized syphilis and shot to death. <laughs> Uh, another 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 quite pointed example of how this one's not quite for the kids. Right, yeah. Which is such a crazy thing to happen to the, to a supergroup. And, and we'll get more into that as well. <laughs> so Arthur doesn't even want to hear this. Once they get into that stuff, he just asks that the radio be shut off. So Arthur gets dropped off at a facility near that spot on the river on his map. And as the cab drives away, he kind of lurks around these chain link fences. And he's able to sneak in. And he watches these men carrying large metal cases. Also present, uh, there's a woman whose photo can actually be seen on Arthur's wall. Oh, really? She, yeah, she has a ponytail, and you notice that uh, one of her eyes is kind of whitish, I oh, guess? I... Yeah, and she's got like a scar. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice her on the wall, I don't think. Yeah, Arthur, ha- Arthur has seen her before. There is a picture of her. And this is Ms. Lint, played <laughs> by Yara Martinez. So Arthur next crouches down and he pulls out this device to listen in on her conversation. It's almost like those like kids spy toys you used to be able to see mm-hmm, on TV yeah, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the headphones and the satellite dish on the, you know, the, with the trigger. The little horn, yeah. Yeah. And so she's told by a thug that there was no paperwork or inspections at the customs due to a high price being paid. And she replies that it was worth it for four freight containers of super tech, body armor, and weapons. So Arthur's right. There's something sketchy going on here. Uh, through Arthur's binoculars, we see her looking at these items, and she holds up a helmet with large antennas. And we immediately get the, it looks like a bunny suit. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously call back to... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll get into that more later when we talk about what he, you know, when he actually puts it on. But uh, I wish the antenna had been bigger, because the joke doesn't quite work as well. Mm, yeah. With the antenna being so thin. There's more about that that doesn't quite work as well later. But uh, yeah, it is nice to hear the, the bunny suit call back. That suit's actually 100% bulletproof. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they do kind of specify that. I was like, oh, that's clever. So, of course, all of a sudden, one of Arthur's tools drops, making a very loud clang. Ms. Lint stops and stares as Arthur kind of slowly backs away. And she continues to stare for a while... She even walks forward, but then she just goes back to her business. Maybe finally decided that she, you know, maybe just heard something. Maybe, yeah. And and she tells the men, well, load all the crates by dawn because the boss wants to play with his new toys. So I guess hearing enough, Arthur backs away. But just then, from off in the distance behind him, a large blue figure makes a giant leap and lands with a crashing thud directly behind him. And this is our grand introduction of the tick. <laughs> and Arthur falls down for, I believe, the second time in uh, the show. I couldn't help but <laughs> Which... think, how did they not hear him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, oh, I know. He doesn't land gently. Arthur barely knocks something over, and she's, uh, you know, she, she she's right on it. And then all of a sudden, this, you know, 250-pound guy just crashes into the metal grates, and uh, nope, <laughs> nobody bats an eye. So this is our introduction to the, the character of the Tick. So what do you guys think about his look, his suit and everything here? Uh, Kevin, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, I... I... Don't really care for the suit. I mean, I know I I assume it's sort of making fun of the whole like overly stylized, you know, like suits that we've seen, you know, 
well, mainly on like the DC side, you know, with like the the bat suits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm assuming it's kind of maybe playing on that. I mean, I know there was obviously issues with uh, the suit that Warburton had, you know, <laughs> where he was pretty much stuck in the thing and couldn't breathe. So mm. um, I, I knew it would have to change, but I was kind of hoping it would still kind of keep, you know, a similar look. Yeah, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna weigh in and say not a fan. Yeah, it's partly it's less the texture i could have probably forgiven the texture more if they hadn't gone for the weird over defined musculature on it yeah it's so odd the something i liked about the old tick look was that they kind of approximated the idea of a dude in a skin tight suit with the weirdly sculpted uh stylized muscles you know what I'm saying? Or, or, or minimize. I don't know how to explain it exactly, but this new one has such clearly defined musculature on it that it can only be seen as a parody of the hyper-stylized uh, super suits from the new movies. Mm-hmm. And and maybe that just is what they're going for. That, you know, the, the bat suit from the uh, Nolan films is very, very stylized. The the rubbery textured Superman and Batman suits from the new DC movies. I do I I do kind of have to agree with Kevin. It is kind of most of the DC films, um, though the Marvel films aren't aren't uh, entirely free of it. I mean, they keep messing with Captain That's America's true. suit quite a bit. Yeah, I he's, was thinking of that yeah. too. He's got a lot of zippers and buckles and things on his. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quick aside, they really should have just stuck with the World War II look that they did. That one was so cool, but. Anyway, the look is odd. Plus, there's a couple of things that make me think they were almost trying to go for a segmented bug thing. His elbows especially look like a bug's legs. And it's really weird, and I just don't quite get what they're doing. The other thing I think that's difficult to get used to is the eye mask. Because Warburton, they just decided to go, you know what, full face. Let's just see his face. And and while... Initially, I actually didn't like that when I first watched the show. As I came to watch it, I was like, you know what? Warburton's got such an expressive face, I get why they're showing it. But with this new one, they're almost trying to approximate the cartoon eyes. And I'm not sure it works. It, it looks a little weird. Yeah, I'm not sure it works. Because it, it, it almost looks like that particular piece is like a separate section. It probably is. Know? Yeah. It probably and it is. it just kind of, like if... If the mask part was kind of more like a like Batman's cowl, you know, like like a solid piece, I think it would have looked a little better. Mm. Yeah, there's probably a reason. It's probably done so he can see. Yeah, but yeah, it's a little weird. It's somehow more forgivable though. When you see it in motion, it's not as bad. It mostly starts to be noticeable when he stands still. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I, I don't mind it as much. Uh, to be honest, it, it's like a textured, rubberized costume. I think we should clarify for listeners, too. It's it's very rubbery looking yeah. instead of fabric. Like, you know, like I was thinking of the Superman, the Man of Steel Superman, which is like a, uh, it almost looks like a textured fabric. And they didn't really go that way with this. You know, they could have gone like the Adam West route where it is like a, a skin tight fabric. But then you'd have to have that, like you said, you know, crazy musculature under it. But uh, I, I like it better than the Patrick Warburton look because that was really like oh, a shiny. Yeah, but that's like a, <laughs> a shiny hard blue shell. 
See, I kind of liked that somehow. I don't know it because maybe it's because of the hyper cartoony look of everything in that show. This mm. weird stylization of his costume worked somehow. It yeah. fit. It fit the aesthetic because everybody looked kind of, you know, uh, Batman. Well, his costume looks fakey. Everybody looks kind of theme park mascotish in that show. Yeah, and and to me, it works for that show. It probably wouldn't work here. In fairness, it probably wouldn't look as good. It would look weird, and I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm still just a really hard sell on it. But uh, you know what? I I am with you though that it does look better in motion. At least uh, I'm, I'm I'm with you on that and that and for that far. Yeah, this is Wally Fister's direction. This is a. Uh... A look reminiscent of possibly those Nolan verse grittier Batman suits. You know, there is a lot of texture and detail. And it makes it a little more grounded. He doesn't look like an action figure come to life, at least. Mm-hmm. True. Maybe it doesn't work exactly, but still, it's not. It's not bad. I, I didn't mind it anyway. And the antenna move. Yeah, too, that's, which is yeah, that's nice. nice. Yeah. yeah, that you needed to have that. Yeah, I mean, for all for all my qualms about it, I got over it real fast. It, you know, it, it wasn't distracting or anything. It was one of those things where I just kind of like, eh, still don't care for it, but you know what, I'll deal. <laughs> so now, just going back to this episode, uh, the Tick doesn't even really introduce himself. He just tells Arthur not to turn back because he thinks they're onto something. Uh, likens it to uh, hotcakes that the criminals are itching to sell. <laughs> He's yeah, very he's, he's very Adam West in this moment too. Like uh, Kevin yes. was saying, he's so Adam West. Don't you feel it, chum? Feel <laughs> Destiny's hand on the small of your back, pushing, pushing. <laughs> it's just this insane person that just comes down, and all of a sudden he's like on Arthur's side. Like they're in it together, and you know Arthur's just like, what is going on? Who are you? He even says, you're a superhero? And the tick replies, well, that's what it says on my mailbox, I imagine. <laughs> the I imagine is such a great aside. Yeah, that was awesome. So good. But even though he is, you know, a little, probably a little intimidated and scared and confused, Arthur's a little happy because he realizes that because a real-life superhero is staking out the same area, that means that his theories must be true. Yeah, and that I imagine tag at the end of that line that was the point where i was completely sold on serafinowitz playing the tick mm. <laughs> i was like this is going to be great i don't care about the costume anymore yeah i'm in 100 percent. yeah his delivery is so good there it's so naturalistic uh, that it flows perfectly and it really makes sells the character yeah and, and that along with edlin's crazy writing for the tick and i say crazy mm-hmm. in, a, in a great way it's not mm-hmm. you know uh, to demean his writing it's it, these crazy uh colorful all the monologues and everything yeah yeah fingering foul fruit friend and oh the alliteration in that moment i made me so i love a good alliterative line so that i just (laughs) (laughs) you were fingering foul fruit friend i was like oh yes (laughs) so good Uh, the tick believes that evil wears every possible mitten meaning that it doesn't matter who these henchmen are they all work for one person and that's something that arthur believes as well So the Tick is ready to, alright, just jump down and take on everybody in one big fight. But Arthur tells him to wait until they can lead them to the Mastermind. And so the Tick asks Arthur what his name is, and he stares with fascination into his eyes, remarking on what's described as the three-pound universe chugging away inside. It's a useful quality that the Tick calls having the soup. Just a strange dialogue here. 
Yeah, it's really, I, it's, it's the other, you know, the fact that Enland is involved actually is another thing that really made me happy about it because that kind of dialogue is what really needs, you, you really need that to sell the tick. This very strange, bombastic, and yet partly unhinged <laughs> bit of melodrama that he uh, brings forth is just really great. Yeah. So finally, Arthur asks what his name is. The tick replies, I am the tick. And Arthur just stares with a twitching eye, and that's something we'll see many, many times. Of course, here, the tick thinks he's being winked at, so he winks back. <laughs> I love that part. And he tries to convince him that destiny is pushing him. There was another great line a little bit earlier where, uh, you know, Arthur's trying to convince him not to go down there. He's like, there's like a dozen men. And Tick just goes, knee! <laughs> yes. <laughs> So now the cops show up, and the tick leaves Arthur, shouting the word destiny and, you know, hooting and hollering. So Arthur runs off, making his way back through that hole in the chain-link fence, right in front of the cops where he is arrested. And as he's apprehended, he tries to explain that he's the good guy. So from here, we flash back to 20 years ago, where a young Arthur plays with a Flag 5 toy. I guess it's like their jet or their spaceship. It almost reminds me of the Fantastic Car from Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. And uh, him and his father are eating ice cream, and they're waiting at an outdoor cafe for Arthur's mother and sister. And Arthur tells his father that someday he's going to grow up to join the Flag Five. And Arthur's father's in some sort of uniform here. Yeah, I wasn't sure. It looked kind of like it might be Air Force or something. Yeah. But now Arthur's father notices that the parking meter is almost out of time, and he runs across the street to refill it. And as he does, there's a distant rumbling heard. Uh, Arthur and his father kind of share a smile as the rumbling becomes louder and begins to even shake the toy on the table. Arthur's father looks skyward just as the Flag 5 ship, the same one that Arthur has the toy of, spirals out of the sky and crashes into him. It's just this terrible scene. Yeah, this is so... This this was one of the things that I wasn't sure how I felt about because I was I just wasn't sure if I needed Arthur to have a tragic backstory. I kind of almost liked it better that just Arthur was sort of this kind of weird guy who really wanted to be a superhero. Mm. You know, that because that's kind of the, you know, in the original comic. You know, I don't know if they give much of a backstory for Arthur in the comic. Again, never read past the Edlands run. But I just, you know, I kind of liked the idea that he was just sort of super into it. You know, he's like, yeah, he likes superheroes and he wants to just be one someday. And they've given him a backstory now. And they do that a lot in modern shows. And I don't know, you know, they, had, they did the same thing with... Like, for example, the remake of the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which <laughs> I hated. And uh, and they did it in, you know, the remake of The Grinch. And I'm like, man, not everybody needs a messed up backstory. Sometimes the, I don't know, I kind of like the idea of someone who's just a little bit nuts, maybe, and kind of enthusiastic. Yeah. But, that being said, it does kind of work, kind of, for what they're doing here. Yeah, and, and if they were going to do a backstory for the pilot, I'm glad it was for Arthur and not the Tick. You yes, know? Oh, agreed. Just, okay, good point, good point. Because, I mean, it, the Tick just kind of needs to just be there, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no explanation. Weirdly enough, you do get a little bit of backstory for the Tick in the comic. Yeah, you do. It's heavily implied that he escaped from some kind of mental institution. And they, you don't yeah. know how he got there or anything, but it is heavily implied that he was there for a while. Yep, and, so. and yeah, we talked about that on the uh, the Tick versus the Idea Man episode, like how right. they kind of 
change that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Arthur, at least in the cartoon, like you said, Matt, he's just somebody enthusiastic about superheroes, wants to be one himself someday, even though he is an accountant and he just shows yes. up for his accounting job wearing the moth suit. Yes. But because with, he can't sit with the wings, they ca- keep calling him a bunny rabbit. Yes. Although uh, they do imply that Arthur has a job in this show, too. They just don't tell you what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the IMDb description calls him an accountant, but perhaps okay. that's just kind of assuming that they're going to stick with you know, the jobs he's had previous, but we don't know. Right. But yeah, this almost reminded me of the Hal Jordan as a child scene from the new Green Lantern movie. Mm, oh, yeah. Remember that? His it dad's does. like, oh, wow. hold my jacket for me, pal. And then oh, you man. see him wave from the jet and then it explodes. <laughs> like, oh, this is so oh. ridiculous. Oh, no, that's true. It does. Oh, and I like that movie too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of works. Yeah, I know. I'm alone. <laughs> No, no, I mean, we I talked was, about it. I was it. just about to give you a hard time for that. We talked about it last time you were on with us, Matt. I, I'm yes. with you, but okay. uh, yeah, that, that scene was a uh, little over the top. You're right. It does very much feel like that scene. And, and you know, I guess as a parody of, you know, ultra tragic superhero backstories, it kind of works. I mean, it's so over the top. You know, not only is he you know, into superheroes, and he has to lose a parent, you know, but he's his parent is destroyed by the very superheroes he idolized. You know, that sort of, in a twisted way, really, really works for this. So now the smoke clears, and we just see young Arthur's sad face, and we fade back to present day, where Arthur is undergoing kind of a mental evaluation at the police station to see if he has to be held at a psychiatric facility for the maximum of 72 hours. This is with the uh, the doctor's name here is Dr. Creek, and she's uh, describing his crime as unlawful surveillance, but Arthur claims he was just, you know, birdwatching uh, at the <laughs> wharf at night. Like you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think she even well, asked the cop, like, what's there? And he's like, seagulls, maybe. She says, she says there are a lot of birds uh, on the wharf at night. Seagulls, maybe. <laughs> They'd be sleeping. <laughs> He says that he's taking all of his medications, but when Dr. Creek looks them up, she's shocked at his file. On screen, there's some heavy-duty pills. And if you you pause on the doctor's screen, did you happen to do this, Kevin? No, I didn't. Under Arthur's diagnosis, it says, Patient likely suffering a combination of mental health issues. Mania slash bipolar are possible. Schizophrenia is possible. Patient has been prescribed amyl sulfuride and celecoxib. Yeah, I just love the, you've been taking your medication, and they would be, wow. <laughs> yes. I did look these up. Uh, amyl sulfuride is used to treat psychosis and schizophrenia and episodes of manic and, uh, uh, that autocorrected weird. It's not mannequin bipolar disorder. <laughs> oh, that would be even better. Mannequin <laughs> bipolar disorder. Wow. Let's just assume manic Slash bipolar disorder. <laughs> uh, Celecoxib is used to treat arthritis, but it's also used to treat major depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. So that's mm. all real medications, uh, generic names of these medications. And yeah, so it, it implies, you know, Arthur has a lot of baggage stemming from this, you know, incident 20 years ago. Uh, here he tries to convince the doctor that, you know, he's on his meds, he has a job, he has an apartment, he is an altogether person, but the evidence suggests otherwise. Uh, she says that there's a history of similar incidents in his past, dating back to community college. No, high school. No, and then she just stares at the computer screen wide-eyed. The cop, too, he walks over and he's just 
staring. They can't believe it. And then finally, Dr. Creek says, you're the little boy from the photograph. Yeah, which, you know, when they reveal what the photograph is, you know, it's well, no wonder the, you know, poor kid's got issue. You know, that's that's almost like the JFK assassination of... <laughs> Yeah, you know, this show. Yeah, yeah you know? it's uh, it's one of those one of those historic moments. You know, it's like, guess what? You're that guy. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about this. We we flash back to young Arthur just after the crash that killed his father. So we're flashing right back to this point, and we see members of the Flag Five now stumble <laughs> out of the burning wreckage, screaming so... that they were blinded by this missile full of syphilis. This is so dark. Oh, so. <laughs> And how do they know that the missile was full of syphilis? Actually, I don't. I can't remember if they <laughs> do. They say the syphilis, or does the terror say that? Captain they, Atlas no, they say knows. It. He does but how say does he it. Know? Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> terrible. Uh, man. Well, you know, supervillains do like to taunt their uh, opponents. Maybe he was. Uh, maybe he told them as it was striking them. <laughs> I guess so. So next, we see this large T-shaped ship fly over, and it kind of tips, deploying the terror. Played by Jackie Earl Haley, which I would have never known that was him, and his henchman. Oh, wow. Yeah, underneath that helmet and all the makeup, it doesn't look like him, does it? No. What do you guys think of the look of the terror? We should talk about this as well. I kind of like it. You know, it's, you know, pretty much, you know, like a, <laughs> a really, really old Magneto type <laughs> yeah. look to him. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, it, we were talking before we started recording uh, about how previously he kind of was like a almost a Cobra Commander type spoof, at least how he looked. But instead of like a, you know, like a snake type voice, you know, he just had the, you know, I'm 120 years old voice. <laughs> yeah. He's still got a little <laughs> bit of that going on. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's still a little bit of the sort of vaguely military uh, dictator thing going on. But yeah, the helmet is very Magneto. Um, and mm-hmm. that's got to be intentional. Because for one thing, the the shape lends itself perfectly to the T-shape of the face. Of course, you know, it's a recognizable modern character now that there have been multiple X-Men movies featuring him. So, yeah, it works really well for that. Yeah, it kind of has the, the dark red color scheme going on as well. Mm-hmm. So this is terrible. One by one, these heroes are shot. Uh, except for one, which the Terror instructs him not to kill the short one, just to crush his hands. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Terrible, but it's interesting that he keeps this one alive. So maybe this will play into something later on. I, I'm thinking it's going to. I mean, it I'm sure. To. I'm sure for the the moment of the fiction, it's just you know, so one can uh, one can spread word. But uh, it's got to be. I'm sure he's going to come back somehow. So he then looks over and notices that young Arthur still sitting there in shock, sitting at that table across the street, and he walks over. And as the terror walks over, we notice there's a photographer inside the restaurant snapping photos. And this is kind of a, an interesting interaction here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I actually like really yeah. liked this moment. Oh, so, so did I. Like, it's just like so like bizarre and creepy, and you know, it it is very creepy, very funny too. Yes, it's, <laughs> yes, yeah. It's again, it's very the very dark humor. Basically, walks over there with hello there. Watch your gut behind your ear and reaches behind Arthur's ear. You know, that old trick where the person would show like, oh, you got a coin. Uh, but he looks at his fingers and it's like, oh, it's nothing. You got nothing. And then he eats his ice cream. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he just smacks his lip. Oh, it's good. <laughs> well, oh. and he leaves. Yeah. The, 
all right, let's go. And then tosses the ice cream in the air. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I love like just the humor in such like a dramatic like, so moment. You know, like, oh, it's so good. Yes. So we cut back to present day as Dr. Creek is just staring at that famous photograph of Arthur and the Terror, uh, which was on the front page of Time Magazine, along with the headline, Grip of Terror, A City Loses Its Heroes. And across the top, we also read the smaller headline, The Death of the Flag 5, Where Do We Go From Here? So we can assume maybe about 20 years now the city has not had a superhero presence. So considering that everything poor Arthur has gone through in his life, Dr. Creek says that she'll just release him to his legal guardian, his sister Dorothy, who we know as Dot. Arthur doesn't really want that to happen, but I guess it's the best option. So we cut back to the criminals at the facility there at the wharf, who are now suspicious of Arthur's earlier snooping. So they did know that someone was kind of checking them out, but I guess they thought, you know, Arthur was kind of this smallish person and figured, eh, well, he's no threat to us. I think us. they actually saw him getting arrested. I think there's a shot of them seeing him getting arrested or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, right. So that's that's how they spotted him. Because I don't think they spotted him before. I think it's only when, you know, they you know they're, they're, as they're fleeing and he's getting arrested, I think one of them looks at him or something like that. I got you. Because I didn't get that. Why Miss Lint would walk over and then just go, eh, and then turn around. That makes way more sense that uh, they saw him getting arrested and kind of put two and two together and didn't care at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I almost wasn't sure if, like, they were the ones who called the cops to say, oh, there's someone trespassing, you know? Yeah. Which, I don't know, because, like, the cops just kind of show up. Yeah, I don't know. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they never really make that clear why the cops show up, actually. I don't remember if they do. Yeah, it's but, a good point. Maybe there's something uh, missing, some deleted scene or something. Yeah, maybe somebody heard the tick land. <laughs> <laughs> the criminals sure didn't. I, mean. <laughs> I don't know why I'm hung up on that, but it just really, it really struck me. I'm like, how did they not hear him? I know. <laughs> Well, we, we'll get into that, too, because okay. there's, there's, there's an interesting twist to that, too. Yeah. So the criminals are at the facility. The tick is there, just kind of up there, pacing around, again, telling himself to maintain finesse, a quality that he praised in Arthur. Have finesse, have finesse. And so we cut back now to Dot. She's driving Arthur home from the police station, and she doesn't believe that he's on his medication, nor his story about birdwatching. And she knows that he's been trying to track the terror. And evidently this is something he's been trying to do ever since really the terror indirectly killed his father. And she's upset that they're going to go through all of this over again. So evidently this comes in episodes that he has. And if he's off his medication, he seems to have these uh, obsessive thoughts about tracking down the terror. He wants vengeance. Dot tries to convince him that the terror is dead the story that everybody knows that Superion killed him a year after their father died, but Arthur refuses to believe it, saying that Superion was tricked. He believes that fighting those teeth meant nothing, and that the terror is now more powerful than ever, and that he's running the city. And unfortunately, Arthur is the only one who knows about it. I like how it feeds into the interpretation that he's crazy, that Arthur's hung up on the teeth. Yeah, everybody accepts that, you know, that uh, the terror was pulverized into nothing but a a jawline, and Arthur's like, really? Teeth dot? Really? (laughs) 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 And it just makes him sound more crazy. And yeah, Dot does not believe him at all. She believes that setting him up in the apartment in the city was a bad idea. It just brought him back to all of these things, all these triggers that, uh, you know, would would, uh, start up that obsessive behavior. 
And due to his condition, sometimes, she mentions here, he sees things and hears voices that aren't there. This was an interesting take, the twist, because, you know, we're about to get this next flashback here. Well, Arthur is convinced now that the terror is moving weapons and armor into the city. Uh, something terrible is being planned. He just doesn't know what it is yet. Uh, Dot tells him, you know, even if it's true, what are you going to do about it? You know, there's, you can't stop him anyway. So Arthur gets out of the car, tells Dot he is okay. She says, good, because I need you to be. And also, just kind of a side point here. Have you noticed that these license plates are like New York license plates? Oh, are they? They seem to be. Hmm. I couldn't read if it said the city or not, but we it is that dark blue and mustard yellow color scheme that those New York plates have. Well, I mean, New York does sort of fill in for most major metropolises, so. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, so back to the episode. He, he's in his apartment now, Arthur. And he's once again staring at the wall of clippings and decides to search for the tick in what's known as the Aegis Superhero Database. But he finds nothing. Yeah, I liked this, actually. I thought, oh, that's kind of a neat... Did they have, didn't they have something kind of like that on the old cartoon? I can't remember. It felt like a callback. It felt familiar to me for some reason. And maybe it's just that it's a, a parody of other things that I've seen before. But it, for some reason it felt awfully familiar and I can't think why. I don't recall... But I just like the idea that, you know, Dot's like, you know, you do see and hear things when you're off your medication. And so now he's like, all right, is the tick real? The tick is not in any registry. So we next see him in the bathroom taking his medication. So it's, you know, it's an interesting take. Right. Like you said. And yeah, that's what I was. Now, isn't this the part where we see the flashback of him as a kid? Yes. In yep. the, okay. Yeah, right after. Right. Um, where So he's having, and it's clearly uh, Serafinowitz's voice, too, doing, you know, talking to him through the, the, he sees the, he's in bed, he hears the voice talking to him from his nightlight, you know, and it's like a, a blue nightlight, night right? I was just going to say that. Um, and it's, it's loud, it's talking about destiny, right, as I recall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And uh, a friend of mine, really, he was... Not worried that they were going to make the tick some kind of you know Calvin and Hobbesy manifestation that only Harvey right yeah that only <laughs> Arthur sees but we do get some immediate refutation of that in the next scene yes but I I, I like this I like that at this point we're not sure Arthur's not sure you know I I was tending to hope that the tick was real like he had been in every adaptation including the comics. Uh, but I, I like this, where Arthur doesn't know if maybe he's just seeing visions. Yeah, I mean, at, th- at this point, it's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good way to introduce him to Arthur and yes. make Arthur wonder if all this has ever <laughs> actually happened. So we next see present-day Arthur waking up with a gasp, and again, that twitching eye. And so we realize, okay, this was a dream, this wasn't a flashback. So we cut back to Tick. He's still... Still talking about finesse. Yeah, still pacing around. <laughs> You know, Arthur taught him maybe have a little restraint here, but he can restrain himself no longer and shouts down to the wicked men, <laughs> saying that they're was they they're beetling away at their dunghill of contraband. Beetling away. <laughs> That's such a great line. <laughs> and he makes a mighty leap down to them and orders them to stop their evil ways. Crashes straight through the uh, the building again. Yeah. Yeah. Just so destructive. And he's slowly walking through all these guys, casually taking them out one by one. <laughs> Listen, friend, guns aren't going to solve your problems. 
Yeah. Uh, so their bullets are just ricocheting off of him. He can push guys into walls one-handed. Uh, a wooden plank cracks over his face without a scratch. Sneaky. Sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we noticed uh, one bullet ricochets off and it hits the release valve at the top of a gas tank. <laughs> and I, I love the, that was your fault, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the line, enough of your hot yes, little bullets. Yes, I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> so great. He even pushes one guy one-handed into the air and out of frame. Yeah. So he then makes his way over to the loading dock where he lifts the metal door only to be faced by nine thugs with their guns drawn. And the tick just laughs as they shower him with gunfire. And it's such a maniacal laugh. I absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> Go tell it on the mountain! Yes. <laughs> and so we cut back very briefly to that leaking gas tank still, and now a faraway shot of the entire facility exploding. <laughs> The guy that he shoves uh, off screen, I'm, not, I'm trying to think, do we actually see that guy land or does he just go flying up in the air? No. He just be, goes up in the air. Okay. Because that's important I think... later. That one shot of the explosion, if nothing else, is kind of a very visual cue of the uh, filmmaking style of, uh, what's his name, uh, Nolan's cinematographer. Very dark night. I was like, oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so what they have said is that the series is going to have continuity, so it, like if things happen to things or people, it's going to carry out throughout the series, uh, which is you know something we sort of saw in like the cartoon with like the moon and things like that. <laughs> yes, cha. <laughs> yeah, so we you know going along those lines, the guy who gets uh, shoved off screen, you know we we do see him later. <laughs> yes, that's great. So we now cut to the next morning as the sun rises over the city. It's 6.30 a.m. and Arthur's clock radio alarm goes off. Now, if you remember, the opening sequence of the 1994 animated series started with a clock radio going off mm -hmm. at 6.30 a.m. Yes. So a nice little nod here. In fact, this whole scene is almost a nice nod to the pilot episode of the animated series. Yeah. They, they, yeah. This is one thing that's carried over in almost every version, I believe. Um, actually, I think it has every version, right? The cartoon, the first live action, didn't it also do this bit? Yeah. yeah. With the, the, the headquarters. Mm -hmm. And the, and the comic did yeah. this too. Yeah. It's such a, it's yep. such a, it's the, uh, it's the uncle Ben moment for Arthur and the tick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Arthur wakes up muttering to himself, I'm not going crazy. I'm not going crazy. And looks over to find the tick in the bed next to him saying, you're not going crazy, Arthur. You're going sane in a crazy world. <laughs> it's that great line directly taken. From that pilot episode of the animated series. And, and like you guys said, that was also in the uh, the Warburton series. And in the comic. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we got a little antenna wiggle, too. Yes. To punctuate that line. <laughs> <laughs> and then Arthur falls down again. <laughs> yes. I have a feeling that line it's... got copy-pasted in the script a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Arthur falls down again. <laughs> so Arthur jumps out of bed, though. He is surprised that the tick is real. Because remember, we saw him take his meds this time. So this is not a vision, this is not a manifestation of his psychoses, this is actually a real person. And he knows this now for sure. Mm -hmm. And Tick thanks him for stopping that beeping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so yeah, we, we get this familiar scene, if you've seen the other versions of the Tick, where he's wandering around Arthur's apartment, or HQ as he calls it. He's breaking things, and yeah, it's very funny. So yeah, he, he finds Arthur's wall, and he's, uh, you know... He admires this wall, the, how thorough and complicated it is with all the clippings and everything. Yeah, I like that uh, what he admires about it is that it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
The tick also refers to Arthur as a sidekick here, and this is something <laughs> Arthur doesn't really like the sound of. And Tick claims, well, he has the brains and Arthur has the everything else. <laughs> uh, the Tick also goes on to explain his powers in this scene. Uh, he's nigh invulnerable. He has the reflexes of an Olympic-level jungle cat. <laughs> 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 and the strength of 10, perhaps 20 men. A, a crowded bus stop of men. <laughs> <laughs> And when Destiny speaks, she ah. speaks to me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She says hi, by the she way. She says hi, by the way. <laughs> and she wanted me to give you this. Yeah. And he slams down this large metal case on Arthur's table, and he opens the case, revealing that armored suit that we saw Ms. Lint looking at earlier in the episode, the uh, so-called bunny suit. He feels that it's uh, destiny that Arthur meet the tick, that the tick caused that big explosion with only the suit surviving, and for Arthur to now use that suit in pursuit of the terror. And he pulls on a candlestick to try and open a <laughs> hidden door. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> just reminds me, yeah, the cartoon too. He's just like destroying things, pulling things off the wall. He's so determined to find that hidden lever or switch that's going to convert the normal bedroom a normal apartment into this crime lab mm -hmm. just never happens yeah, and he says i broke a few eggs but the omelet is huge <laughs> <laughs> so many great lines yeah now there, there's also one more aspect of the tick's powers we'll get to that a little later it's not mentioned here so the tick now leaves through arthur's apartment window in a very destructive fashion of course we hear all kinds of glass breaking and stuff as he leaves Tick mentions that destiny is calling you, Arthur. Come on over. It's good. It's warm. It's like inside the inside of bread. Of bread. <laughs> yes. And uh, Arthur, of course, says, I'm not going to get inside of bread with you. Do you understand that? <laughs> Which I wasn't sure if, you know, that was kind of a subtle reference to uh, the bread master. I love that episode so much. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so soft. Which... So warm. <laughs> <laughs> must resist the rapture of the bread <laughs> which unfortunately i don't know if we necessarily will get to see the bread master just because of you know the whole rights issues with the uh different characters yeah oh yeah why don't you speak a little more about that kevin you were actually able to make contact with uh, ben edland before we recorded yeah yeah i uh was doing some research on just trying to find out, you know, like uh, what was going on with the rights uh, to various characters. Cause I know that was obviously an issue with the uh, previous live uh, action one. So just kind of on a whim, I uh, sent Ben Edlund a uh, message on Twitter and uh, he confirmed that, yep, the, uh, there are definitely still uh, character rights uh, issues going on right now. So yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing is, you know, we'll get to see new characters uh, being developed, I, you know, I imagine. And there probably will be some that were in, you know, the comics, possibly in the cartoons as well. Um, but if it was something that was just from the cartoon or just the earlier live action, I don't imagine we'll see those because I imagine those are part of the ones that are kind of tied up at the moment. And we saw that, too, where there were characters in the Patrick Warburton series uh, that were similar, but not the same as the ones in the cartoon. Yeah. And so we might see a similar thing here. I'm I'm yeah. really just desperately hoping they somehow manage to get Batman well back, because I just dug on if that name isn't just so great. Mm. <laughs> so many great characters in the old Tick oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Such, so funny. But how great would it be to see uh, a deflator mouse slash Batman well character in this version with Wally Pfister directing? Mm -hmm. You know, this is... Uh, Kind of oh, in his yeah. wheelhouse, uh, directing the the Dark Knight trilogy. Oh gosh! Yeah, 
definitely thanks to uh to ben for getting back to us that was awesome yeah yeah thank you ben so from here now we next cut to miss lint surveying the damage of the explosion we see there's like a guy just kind of in the middle of this you know ash crater kind of laying there the thugs tell her that the man who caused it was a large blue super most likely working with the little guy who was spying on them earlier we, and then now this is the scene you were talking about kevin we, we kind of pan off to the side to see that one of the thugs that the tick kind of tossed away out of frame is still hanging there off the corner of a nearby building he's kind of tangling maybe in some power lines or something yeah he's and it's nice because for one thing he's uh he provides witness too it's like yep the tick's real this guy yeah, saw him true. yeah yeah uh, I did like when you walked walked by the the path of destruction with a tick. Is again kind of a dark joke, but the dude's charred legs are still sticking out of the window. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, oh man. gosh. <laughs> I didn't notice. That. Oh, it's so grim. <laughs> oh man. So as Miss Lynn turns away, we next cut to a view of the city, and we get the tick in voiceover saying, Light against darkness, up against down. A struggle as old as time, but with a beat you can dance to. <laughs> and as the sun rises on a new day in the city, so rises a new hero. And from here we cut to Arthur now in his apartment, standing in front of his mirror, completely decked out in that suit, that, you know, so-called bunny suit okay. that tick saved for now him. Now here's where we'll get into what I was going to talk about earlier, the look of the suit. Now, I do like the look of the suit, because it does look like a, an experimental military flight suit. But, the, like I said, again, the antenna are too thin and too insectile to look like bunny ears. And it's gray. And it doesn't make you think of bunny rabbits. It makes you think of a gray flight suit. Not to mention the fact that the guy who plays Arthur is a little svelte. And so he doesn't have that chubby bunny thing going on that the original guy who played Arthur had. So the bunny joke kind of doesn't work so good here. But I don't dis... This this is actually some where I was expecting not to like. I actually did a complete 180. I really do like the Arthur suit. It looks like an experimental military flight suit should look if they mm. were going to make it look like a moth. Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm wondering if maybe, you know, just the one bunny suit line that, that you know that was just kind of a little bit of a fan service there i think so either and, that uh, or it was in and, the script. and we won't see it yeah like we won't see that again right yeah i was gonna say it's either that or it was in the script before they actually designed the suit yeah possibly too yeah before the the suit's design was finalized because you know that's that is kind of a classic joke but yeah it doesn't it doesn't quite work because he doesn't look like a bunny <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I just figured you know it is very much designed off of, you know, a moth, mm -hmm. the look of a moth. And it was just a stupid thug looking at one helmet with the two things sticking out the top and was like, oh, was this a bunny suit? Yeah, I guess. You know, so. I guess it's just because the old Arthur suit really does look like a bunny suit when the wings aren't yeah. out. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so. But I, I like this. I like his little heads-up display. It's pretty good. I actually like the way the wings look. The wings look really cool. Everything about it looks cool. I was like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm actually okay with this Arthur suit. Weirdly, I don't know why I'm okay with this and not the tick one, but <laughs> I am. I like the way it looks. It looks great. Yeah, this this very much looks like a heavy duty fabric. Yeah, too. it that's that might be it. It actually looks like fabric where the tick looks like he's wearing a Goodyear tire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we next cut to the tick. He's standing atop a building, gazing upon the city as he continues talking about Arthur, saying. 
a precious balloon of hope girding his loins, making ready for the fight. <laughs> girding his loins with a precious balloon of hope, which was just so awful. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, gosh. Again, the very strange dialogue, but so great. He says he, he may be on the compact side, but as heroes go, but that's just the way Destiny crumbles her cookies. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be dangerous. And so we cut back to Arthur. He's trying to figure out the features of his new suit. Uh, there's a small electronic panel on his right wrist. And uh, we notice that there's two uh, large eye pieces on the sides. And he presses a button and they slide into place on the front. I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that was cool. Because Arthur always has these big white goggles. Mm -hmm. You know, and even when he was an accountant in the cartoon, he had these goggles. We never really saw his eyes, I don't think, ever. No. No, Arthur never unmasks. And in the Warburton one, I believe they're almost like clear goggles, aren't they? Yeah, I think they're like aviator goggles or something like that, if I recall correctly. Yeah, so I, I like this. And now we also get a shot of his point of view. It's almost like night vision. There's all kinds of gauges, you know, and it's very, compasses. It's very Iron Man. Uh, I was just going to say it's very <laughs> Iron Man, yeah. yeah. But, but if you notice, everything's hexagonal. Mm -hmm. Kind of like that compound eye of a moth. You know, it fits the motif. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's very clever. And the tick continues... That's the hero's journey. That's why they get up in the morning. To go mono a mono myth with the darkness. <laughs> to win the elixir and save the world. Because villainy is real. It has guns and scars and tattoos. And it's licensed to drive. It wants nothing but to murder and take. And it's coming for them all. The mono a mono myth is a great, clever line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And of course, as he says this, as he's talking about guns and scars, tattoos, and license to drive, we see Ms. Lint... Three of her thugs pull up in front of Arthur's apartment in, in a black Chevy Tahoe and get out. The tick now continues. So, two new Avengers take their place on the front line. They will face evil with a song of battle in their hearts. And we're cutting back to the tick as he's saying all this. And we see he's talking to himself as he stands there. This isn't a voiceover. This is him just shouting to nobody as he's looking at the city. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it Great way to end it. <laughs> well, you know, they, they did that a lot in the old cartoon, too. Him mon monologuing yeah. to nobody out, <laughs> yeah. out on the top of a building. But notice already he says two new Avengers take their place. So he's he doesn't care what Arthur thinks. As far as he's concerned, the two of them are, they're in it now. Yeah. And so he continues, this is a great line, Destiny's got her hand way, way up in their puppets. <laughs> it's an unpleasant <laughs> tingling. <laughs> The deepest of wriggles, and its only reward is drama. <laughs> <laughs> and so, this is his mention of drama. And drama is, it's not really quite clarified here, but it is one of the Tick's powers, going back to the comics. In the comics, the Tick has something called drama power. And basically what this is, is this kind of weird quality that he has, that his powers will get greater the more dramatic a situation gets. And so it's been described in the Wikipedia article, they, they, they mentioned that, you know, that's how he's able to survive in space without a suit <laughs> or underwater without breathing. The, the crazier the situation gets, the greater his powers get, which is hilarious. So we cut back to Arthur now as he accidentally deploys his moth wings and he flaps them for the first time. And, and they move pretty cool. They flap like moth wings. <laughs> and he knocks over the lamp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the CG's pretty good on those too. Yeah. They're almost like uh, clear... You know, within a framework. Yeah. So you could see how they would fold in and come out almost like uh, Falcon's wings, you know, in the uh, Avengers movies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although these are certainly meant for gliding primarily. 
But this is the point now where Miss Lint and the thugs break in with their guns drawn and begin firing. And we don't really see what happens. We, we cut back to the tick now as he looks down and says, new plan. Which is the second time he said that. He said that uh, earlier, right before he jumped down to uh, take on the thugs. Ah, okay. New plan, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that won't be too much of a catchphrase in this. But Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm hoping they don't, you know, replace, you know, the traditional spoon with new plan. Oh, they've got to keep spoon. They can't yeah. not use spoon. But yeah, I, I worry that that's sort of a... a I, I don't want to get catchphrasy. No. But that's interesting yeah. that spoon wasn't really used here. I, I didn't even notice that. Well, you know, he... The Tick himself isn't actually in the episode much. The episode is more of an origin story for Arthur, really. Hmm. Right. So now we quickly zoom into the pupil of the Tick's eye, and inside we see the title of the show, The Tick, and our closing credits. And also, in watching the closing credits, I noticed that Chris McCulloch is a uh, associate producer. He's uh, Ben Edlin's former roommate, also known as uh, Jackson Public, creator of Venture Brothers, so pretty mm. nice to see maybe he consulted or something in this. Overall, I really liked it, though. I was, you know, I, I went in, I'm not going to lie, I went in really guarded on this pilot because I thought, oh, man. It's funny, each version of the Tick has had to kind of win me over except for the cartoon because the cartoon, you know, they could go just as wacky as the comic. It didn't matter. Yeah. But the Warburton version, I remember when I first tried to watch it, I didn't like it. Um, later when I rewatched it, I just thought I was an idiot. I was like, you clearly had no taste. But each version, and this one, I, you know, I remember thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, man, I don't know. If I'm going to like this, everything I'm seeing, I'm not really liking. And then suddenly when I watch it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is so well done. I'm really happy about it. it like I said, even the look of the tick, which I'm not sold on, isn't a deal breaker. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. I absolutely love this. And I'm definitely hoping, you know, that this is the one that gets picked up, you know, and we get to see a full series of it. Okay. Now I'm gonna, this is where I'm going to get into what something I was going to say earlier where I have theories on this. Okay. Okay. When Amazon has done these in the past, okay? Like, for example, the last one they did was The uh, Man in the High Castle, right? Yep. Okay. I watched that pilot also, and I'm pretty sure Amazon already knows flat out which one they're going to be doing every time, because when you watch The Man in the High Castle, had these fantastic, you know, actors involved. Cinematography was amazing. The money had clearly been spent. Everything was, you know, the writing was top-notch. I was like, there's no way they aren't already planning to do this. Not to mention that it was the one that got the most kind of, you know, publicity. <laughs> Same things happened with the ticks so far. Those costumes were not cheap to make, you can tell. The cinematography is great. The CGI was top-notch. Uh, they've got some, not necessarily big-name actors involved, but they've got classical comedic actors with uh, Serafinowicz. And, you know, the, the, the guy who played Arthur, I think, has been on stuff, too. The uh, the writing is very funny. They've got Ben Edlund involved. And they've got a clear audience already in people who are already fans of The Tick and want to see more Tick, even if it's not exactly what they want. They'll probably vote for it. I think Amazon already knows full well they're going to make this show. I'm pretty sure the deck's stacked, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, as far as, like, the number of fans, as of this morning, this one was the highest rated of the uh, the three remaining shows, The um, mm -hmm. you know, between The Tick, John claude Van Johnson, and uh, I Love Dick. You know, th this one right now has the current, you know, highest rating. It was 4.4 uh, stars out of 5, with, right. uh, like, 9,269 uh, ratings. At least that's what it was this morning. 
you know, the John Claude Van Johnson is at 4.3 with uh, like just over 5,000 votes. And then I Love Dick, uh, three out of five and like 3,000 votes. Hmm. Yeah. See, the I didn't, in fairness, I did not watch the other two. Although I might watch the Jean-Claude Van Damme one because I will admit the premise sounded kind of funny. Yeah. But the other one, the other one is a bone. It's, it's clearly being thrown out there for like, you know, another audience that doesn't, you know, it's, it's not going to get made. It's, it's, uh, the, the, the name is what's trying to, you know, draw people's attention to that one. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, scandalous. And there's no way that's what's getting made. It's going to be the tick. I think it was always going to be the tick. And it's just uh, publicity, basically, for Amazon to go, look what we do. We do this thing. You know, I, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the crazy conspiracy theorist this time. But, uh, you know, I've got, the, I've got the Amazon wall string. But, um, <laughs> but Are you on I your just, meds, I, Matt? Yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> nope. But uh, at least I'll admit it. But I, I, just, I just can't see them not doing this one. So I'm pretty sure we're going to get more of it. Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to what they do with it. Yeah. If it's rigged, uh, I'm happy <laughs> about yeah. it. Yeah. Normally, I, I wouldn't again, the, want that. But... The, yeah, see, I, no, I, I will, and I'll say that. I wouldn't, I'm not pushing that, but I think it is. And, and again, the other thing I mentioned earlier was they don't have a superhero show yet. And I'm sure Amazon would like to have its own superhero show. Yeah. Because almost everybody else has got one. It's a very good point. And, uh, you know, if anybody listening wants to vote to put in their two cents, the uh, the video ends with a message asking you to visit Amazon.com slash pilot season, all one word, uh, to help them decide their next original series. And when you go to that, there is uh, pretty much a survey, you know, from excellent to poor. They give you, I don't know, five options and a bunch of different categories. From there, you can then explain what your favorite other shows are and how this stacks up to those shows so i put in like you know the simpsons arrested development and stuff like that and i I took the time to help the show out did the extra survey it's all anonymous but they you know they want some uh market research i guess on it and so yeah definitely help this show out like matt said it, it may not need it necessarily they might know already where this is going but hey why not help a show that you like oh yeah i mean you know i'm not saying don't vote for it absolutely vote for it but yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I, I think Kevin Bacon and uh, Jean Claude Van Damme will be just fine if their shows don't get picked up. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I did get a little concerned when I saw you know the IMDb rating for uh, the Jean Claude Van Damme one is actually a bit higher than the uh, than the Tick. Yeah, so. yeah. IMDb though. I mean, but yeah, I don't I don't really pay attention to their ratings I, I see well the thing is with imdb they may like it better on imdb but imdb ain't the amazon customers who are paying for it they're exactly so the ratings on amazon are the only ones that really matter right yep yeah and that that's why when i was uh kind of going through like the the ratings and and the numbers i was talking amazon earlier so that's where it matters so definitely go go watch it and definitely give it a rating and we should mention, too, this isn't just exclusively for Prime members. If it does get picked up as a series, it will be. But right now, this is available to watch for anybody. Uh, just go to Amazon.com, search The Tick, and you can watch the first episode for free. So that's why uh, we decided this would be a, a great opportunity to do this, because everyone can join in and watch. But you should totally get Prime, because it's worth it. 
Yeah, was it free two-day shipping on items, too? Oh, man, dude. I use so much Prime stuff. (laughs) But I will admit, I actually really do like the video uh, benefit because, you know, a lot of of free streaming Prime stuff that maybe isn't on Netflix. But there's also the Prime Music thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I really like, honestly, I mean, you know, yeah, I sound like a shill here, but I really, really like Prime, and I think it's worth it. You know, it's 100 bucks a year, yeah, but that works out in shipping pretty dang fast for me. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. I I really love this show. Uh, Just a, a great... New adaptation of The Tick has so many familiar elements that we love, but a couple of new twists and wrinkles here and there that really makes it great. I love Peter Serafinowicz's work anyway, so uh, I I love his take on the Tick character. And while the looks uh, are a little weird, they may change. You know, this is still just a pilot, and, uh, you know, so we'll we'll see what happens with this series from here. But uh, really liking what I'm seeing from this and, and looking forward to seeing more episodes in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. Looking forward to more of it. Definitely, you know, obviously want to see where the pilot goes. And then uh, I'm glad of the casting and I'm glad of, of everybody involved. I hope I hope Edlund stays heavily involved, too, because his writing definitely is what sells it. All right, well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, what Destiny calls you to do, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. You guys have anything you want to plug? Sure. Uh, just uh, my continuing uh, webcomic at catbeardthepirate.com. All right. And you can find my stuff uh, on social media at One Wall Cinema. Uh, we've got Mystery Science Theater type commentary uh, at slash One Wall Cinema. We've starting a new series uh, called Chevrolet Leader News because we, <laughs> we discovered Chevy had a news program and <laughs> we thought. Hey, why not? We'll take a stab at that. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of going to be an ongoing uh, series. We're going to hope to put out one new short every month uh, until we run out of episodes. Oh, man, those are going to be worth it, people. Those, that first one was amazing. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, I am on Twitter as well. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine. There I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. You can check me out there. My name there is also MC and Friends. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. For Android users, we are also available to stream in or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app, so check us out on those platforms as well. And also, if you are a Roku user, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel, you can set Hitting Play as a favorite, and you can stream us right on your television set right after these episodes are posted. Well, we have been Matt, Kevin, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. New plan.